hi, hello, I hope you're having a wonderful day. My name is Harmony and I'm your host here on What the Actual Left. If you're new here, this is a podcast where I like to talk about true crime, mysteries, paranormal, conspiracies, kind of just the darker side of life. If that's your thing, then I think you'll go ahead and, I don't know, listen to this podcast. If not, that's fine. I hope you have a great day. But for those of you that are going to stick around, I've got a really great podcast for you guys today. I'm going to tell you three different cases. And uh, you guys can just, you know, take it, leave it. I don't know. But these ones really caught my attention, and I think you'll enjoy them. Before I get started, I also want to give a huge thank you to one of our listeners, Victor. He reached out to me and let me know that the background music on my last few podcasts has made it a bit tough for you guys to hear what I'm saying. And I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Getting that kind of feedback helps me improve this experience for both of us. So I'm going to not be having background music for a bit until I can at least figure all of that out. So Thank you, Victor. You are the real MVP. So it's almost Halloween, as you guys know, and because of that, I wanted to talk about a creepy case with a lot of mystery. So this one is the Indian Lake Project. So the whole thing begins on a self-titled blog that was back in October 2005 is when this began on this blog. John, who is the storyteller of this narrative on this blog, tells us that on July 9th, 1997, his uncle was hiking in a wooded area around Indian Lake, New York, where, where he was hiking, he found a mysterious box buried in the ground. And in this box were 21 water-damaged photos, three 8-millimeter, like, home movies, and some various documents. Now, what was in these pictures and on these documents and these movies is the most disturbing thing. They were photos and videos of children that seemed to be going through some sort of experiments, like something experimental seemed to be happening to them. But it also seemed that this box was about 50 years old. And after his uncle died, John received this box as, I don't know, like a a creepy hand-me-down. Let's pause this for a second. Like, what the fuck would you do if you got a box from, like, I don't know, your estranged uncle and it's, like, fucking what? Is it a government secret? Are you going to have people after you? Or is it, like, a big prank? Like, what is it? You know, that's sweet gift there, uncle, sweet gift. So this, though, is when John decides I'm going to share my story. We're going to we're going to let everyone know about this box because why not social media, even though this was in 2005. Um, It starts with uh, like government experimentation as he's telling his story that was taking place at a place located deep in the woods of Indian Lake. And that this was complete, like, government, high classification, no one really knew about it. And that the photos, excuse me, the photos really looked 
that the experiments were done at a military facility. It wasn't like he was just jumping to this. It, it looked like it. And you can see these photos. You can actually look up everything I'm telling you today. You guys can look all of this up. Um, but there, it, it looks, it does look pretty governmental, military-esque. I mean, it does. And it seemed to be in these photos of these experiments, it seemed more like mind control and like maybe trying to do ESP, but with children. And I'm not saying that's okay just to do that at all, but I mean, that is, it's, it's horrifying that this is what we're seeing in these photos. Well, John then decides to travel out to Indian Lake and see if he can find anything. Sadly, though, aside from him having, like, just a real creepy, uncomfortable feeling, he doesn't seem to find much, maybe like a few structures, but nothing great. It's still very much abandoned. Well, this is where in this project, this Indian Lake project, it gets a bit creepy, like just strange. John Post saying he will not be posting anymore when it comes to this recovered mystery box. So here is his post. On Wednesday, October 26, 2005, John wrote, Since my last post, a lot of things have happened to me, which make me believe that posting any more items from the box would not be in my best interest. I have had numerous phone calls only to hear silence on the other end, as many as 20 times a day. My house was broken into and searched. But nothing was taken. The box and its contents had been securely hidden outside of my home. I did this shortly after the phone call began. Sorry, the phone calls began. I can't even read my own handwriting. It is obvious to me that I hit a nerve when I mentioned the documents I have and that I was considering perhaps posting them at some point. I am no longer going to post anything. I am done. I hope anyone who stumbles onto this site will read it from the beginning and continue to stay interested in this story. For those of you who have followed this blog, I am sorry, but my family and their peace of mind come first. As disturbing as these photos and documents are, the last few days for me and my family have been even more worse so. Yes, even more worse so. I don't know if that, I feel like it wouldn't even more worse be, never mind, I don't need to sit here and criticize this note, we're going to continue. Which is why I am saying goodbye. So that was John's post then. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the last we hear, like ever, from him. I'm just kidding. Okay. John posts again about eight months later. After careful consideration and much encouragement from his countless emails, he decides, I'm going to post again. And that's what he states in the beginning of his first post. And he follows it with, my apprehension is only countered by my determination to find answers and bring awareness to those children who became victims of the Indian Lake Project during the years 1952 to 1955. Much has happened since I stopped posting and I will share with you what I feel I can at this time. This is a horrifying true life mystery that for me, will not go away. Please check that soon. Now, while John wasn't posting, he and his wife actually split up and he then moved to New York, allowing himself to become closer to the Indian Lake Project. 
therefore possibly giving him the chance to find out what was really going on. So he was going out to Indian Lake a lot, actually, very often. And John discovers more structures, and this is in his post. But due to what he is posting and everything he has shared, he receives an email from a woman stating that she knows about Indian Lake. And this is a post that John shares. Monday, July 10th, 2006. In February of 2006, I, re I received an email from a woman who claimed to have first-hand knowledge of the camp. With her permission, I am posting the last email she sent to me. And in this email, I'm not going to read the whole email because it's not very short. I'm going to give you a gist of what she said. The woman claimed that her father had been stationed at Indian Lake. Lake. I cannot speak today. I apologize. See, there I go. I can't, I can't talk. And that her parents used to actually talk about all the children of this Indian Lake project. And that is the last we hear for a while. It would be a few more months before John posted anything again. Then he comes and he says, After being in contact with the woman I mentioned in my last post for the past several months, I am having second thoughts about her and her motives. So they had actually agreed to work together according to what John post and share knowledge of all they had on Indian Lake. But there were some things about it that kind of didn't make him feel comfortable. She would agree to share all she knew and John would then share all his documents and pictures and film he had. This made John a bit suspicious as if she really wanted to help and what her motives were because she wanted him to send her all the originals so that way she could quote unquote see them in person which he was not willing to do this and it did, just did not seem to sit right with him and you know he decided he was gonna he was gonna cut her off and that was that so he continued his research john finds links between the Indian Lakes Project and MK Ultra. These links, uh, they're they're posted on what he finds, and they're specifically in experimentation on children. He believes it could actually still be going on when he's posting that this, like from the everything, it just seems like he still believes this is happening. He finds more information of this being a possibility because he finds a mass grave of children that was found in Canada that was related to Nazi research and he even finds possible links to the Jonestown massacre so this guy is deep right now he is in there he is rocking the tinfoil hat which I'm not trying to sound you know degrading or anything but when you look at what he has pieced together some of it is very much like, okay, so we know MK Ultra happened in, you know, a lot of things with that. Like, there's just been leaks of that stuff. But the way he ties this stuff for this time period seems very much like, what? There's just a lot. There's a lot to take on. So, those are his links. And um, he then also says that Mary 
the woman who's been emailing him still hasn't stopped, even though he has basically, you know, he has, he's cut ties. She's still reaching out and, you know, begging him for these originals, which, you know, makes him even more suspicious of little old Mary, little, little Mary, quite, quite contrary. Well, of course, John continues going back to Indian Lake. And when he does, he finds an underground bunker where he believes that the children were housed. And there are photos of this, and he, he believes this is where they were held. Later on, he says that he hasn't gone back for a while, as he believes at this point he is now being followed. The last time that he went to Indian Lake, he saw two hunters going into the woods with guns. Only, it wasn't hunting season, so that kind of alarmed him. He also posts photos of this big unmarked van that seems to always be interested in wherever the fuck he is. He even says he found a dead bird on his newspaper outside of his front door, which he has posted a photo of as well. Now, I'm going to pause for a second and just say at this point, this seems like a real life, um, like role playing horror scenario like that we have on YouTube and stuff, you know, this really seems like that, like a too scary for you, real life mystery. Does it not like this really seems like this is a real life, uh, just like live it mystery, but like, is it real? It's it's one of those. Hmm. Okay. If, you, if you're what, like looking on the site, on this blog, it does, it makes you kind of go, what is happening? What is this? So, yeah, um, as he continues posting, he dives deeper into conspiracy and paranoia, claiming that there is a black helicopter over Indian Lake base when he goes back. So he's just, he is not going. And this paranoia, though, the thing is, is it might not be for no reason. John started his blog in October of 2005, and from 2006 to 2008, three people went missing from the Indian Lake region. Just wanted to let that be known. His last update is from Monday, February 25th, 2013. He says, I will begin posting updates to the new Indian Lake Project Twitter account soon. But John didn't actually post really at all on there. He didn't post any updates. It all stopped. He had made a Twitter and it was for the Indian Lakes Project. One post was from him, like one tweet or whatever you guys want to call the twiddles. Uh, sorry, I have a Twitter. I just don't really use it. I forget that thing even exists. Um, but he says, you know, that he'll be posting updates and to come back soon on, that was like his tweet, but nothing is posted ever again. And this is where it gets a little weird because the story isn't over yet. A video is found or released of people trying to find out about what happened to John and the Indian Lake Project. This footage actually is able to be found. You can watch this footage. There are two guys and a woman interviewing people all around the area, but nobody seems to really want to talk. They get kind of shifty and shady when people bring up, you know, the uh, 
the Indian Lake Project. And if anyone knows about children, I apologize, a motorcycle just went by. So if you guys heard that, I'm sorry. But if anyone knows if children had been experimented on in the Indian Lake woods by the government and if it if it was true or just conspiracy and people get all shady and stuff you can you can watch it it's it's yeah at one point though this group is walking into the woods of indian lake and you see a laser pointing at one of the men's backs now the camera guy freaks out and says oh did you see that which i don't know how the man with his back to the camera could have seen shit and he's like, no, no, what was it? He's like, oh, there's a laser. There was a laser. And then, yeah. And then a very blatant um, moment where they turn, there's a man, but yet no one sees him. Yet, if you guys watch this video, he's right fucking there, like a jump scare almost waiting to happen. And then they look, they're looking all around. Another guy is seen really fast, way behind them. That's when they decide they're going to start heading back and the girl and the cameraman walk and the other guy who had the laser aimed on his back kind of just stays behind for i don't know whatever moronic scary movie move you decide to do that does so you hear a yell and what sounds like a gunshot and then the man is seen again like, for, like, a split second, the guy that was in the background, he's seen again. He's there. Oh, he is there. That jump scare waiting to happen. It's there on amazing found footage, of course. It's not a horror movie or theatrics. Never. And uh, then the cameraman, the cameraman holding the camera, he's there. The girl and him, they run. Of course, something happens. They stop because, again, we are in the middle of horror movie 101. Why not stop? The girl and him look, the cameraman groans, he falls to the ground. You see the girl go, oh no, or something. I can't remember what cliche line she speaks. And she runs, you then are laying, your POV is laying on the ground. It gets, what I would say is imitation staticky. It is not genuine static, at least on my non-professional opinion of non-professional editing that I have done in my life, I have seen free apps in the app store show better static or something in their editing software than this claimed static. And then a male foot is stepping over the body along with the other foot. And then that's, that is the theatrical acting show that we see. Uh, but the thing is, is this video was actually released by the tourist department of the region, claiming that the video was sent to them anonymously. Oh, but wouldn't you know, it was done so during Halloween. And that anyone who sees this video should keep an eye out for these missing people. Yeah, and that's, a, that's really all there is on the... Indian Lake project, honestly, like, uh, that's, that's the mystery of it. You know, is, is there really a government conspiracy that, you know, they're killing all of these people to hide it? Was there really something like MK ultra up there? And this found footage that absolutely is 100%
real. 100%. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Or is it all a hoax? A very long, elaborate hoax or even possibly John maybe maybe was on to something, but maybe not what he thought. I don't know. But I mean, what do you think? What do you think in this episode? And if you think that that is all that I have for you when it comes to a conspiracy or, uh, you know, just the government being evil. No, I've got another case coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Activities, whether bad or good by the government, can be brought to light, especially nowadays, via YouTube and social media, just being shared with the masses. And we are going to talk about a man named Buddy Webb, who believes that he has solid proof of an evil government operation going on right underneath him. So let's talk about Buddy Webb and the secret tunnels of Texas. Buddy Webb has been documenting his findings on these secret tunnels in Midland, Texas, that are just underneath his very house. Buddy bought a home in 2008 where only a couple of weeks before the previous young male owner had actually died. His house is just behind a Home Depot and next to a truck unloading lane. And he's got videos of this road or a lane just behind his house. In January of 2012, he Buddy reported a suspected drug tunnel. That's what he believes is under his house and that it ran under Midland. He told the DEA this. However, the DEA, they just didn't fucking care. Or, or did they already know that this drug tunnel was right there? Hmm. Well, Buddy seems to think so. Buddy first called the police in November of 2010 to report a burglary. Then, in January of 2011, he called believing that somebody was actually in his attic. Over time, Buddy claims his house is constantly being broken into and that someone is often in his attic, moving through the walls as well. This led him to not only call the police several times, but also the Texas Rangers and the FBI. Just two weeks after Buddy reported the suspected drug tunnel, he was shot in his very home. But he was shot from the ground. Someone shot Buddy from beneath his house. And his house, well, it doesn't have a fucking basement. So, dun dun dun! The mystery has deepened. Buddy has video online after this happened of him crawling out of his house where, you know, he was shot. He claims he couldn't call the police from his cell phone as it had gone missing that very day. And his phone lines were miraculously dead because he crawled out of the house with his cordless phone. For those of you who are, uh, I don't know, Gen Z, you know, the youngins out there, 
a cordless phone is much like a cell phone, except it was a brick that you had, and it had to be charged also like your cell phone. But uh, if it wasn't charged, it would be dead. And you, oh, also, you also had to pay for a phone line that hooked up to your house. I know, we, this is ancient times. I'm probably confusing you. It's very, it's crazy. It's crazy how the people of the Dark Ages lived, I, I being one of them. Um, so, you know, that, even though he had it on him, it was dead. But not just dead, not like he didn't charge it, he hadn't put it on the base. The phone lines were dead. Terrifying. It's getting so creepy now, right? Aren't you just, oh, conspiracy. As Buddy gets outside and, you know, he, he, he's gone, he gets to the hospital, he, he's gone. Two patrol units pull up who, according to Buddy, had not been called or dispatched there. So it is unknown who alerted them and why they would have even shown up at this point. Well, that's according to Buddy. He even claims one of them may have even been the shooters. Oh, that's right. This is full on. Sorry, there's a phone in here that I can't find and it's going off. My apologies. Um, oh my goodness, it's it's going hysterical. Give me one moment. Okay, my apologies. So he even believed that these police officers uh, actually turned his security camera footage so that no more of it could be seen. And there is footage of, you know, once these police get there, his security cameras are actually turned away so you cannot see anything that is being filmed that is absolute truth buddy believes though that the previous owner was actually killed by whoever shot him and that whoever that was was law enforcement this is when buddy starts to monitor his place but also like monitor it more you know he's getting more into that security but he also starts to monitor police radio and he hears all the the evil going ons in midland and it all seems that uh his theory is it's pretty fucking true that they are they're they're the ones doing it they're they're the bad guys so buddy has posted videos of all the radio banter with stuff being said about a woman, a woman was hearing voices behind her house, and she even heard the words, going to kill you. This is what you hear on this police radio. He also has security cameras all set up, as I stated, around his house that document everything, and he has posted this on his YouTube channel, where he believes he has evidence of everything that he is stating and that I am telling you now. Buddy believes that these tunnels are used for top secret military purposes as well as drug smuggling human trafficking oh and uh prison breaks so if this is true guys the government the military all the bad guys are either all the same or they're working together because i feel like they would pass by each other i'm just saying i pass by neighbors that i don't even live next to just going to check mail. If you're running through these tunnels, are, is there a time frame? Are there scheduled time frames? And 
I'm just wondering, and I'm not, I'm just saying, but this is what he thinks that it's either one of them or all of them. And they're working together. He even believes they are using the houses around this area in his, in his neighborhood as well. In one video, there is police radio talk of a woman complaining of someone in her attic and that she can smell cigarette smoke. But there was nobody, by the way, just spoiler alert, when they went, there was nobody there. Nobody was there. Another video shows camera footage from his attic where a motion light suddenly turns on. That, that's, that's what you see, by the way. There's nothing else. There's no, nobody shows up. Um, nothing happens. He, Buddy is also talking over this video the whole time saying, there it is. The motion light goes on. There shouldn't be any motion. It shouldn't go on. That shouldn't happen. What, what's happening? You know, there's somebody in there when there is nobody in the attic. Uh, at this point, it really sounds to me as uh, this is just my impartial judgment, uh, that he is haunted by the previous owner. That I feel is what's going on. The previous owner is haunting him. And I feel like I just solved it, maybe. I don't know, but that's just what it sounds like at this moment. But let's, let's continue, okay? He believes all his documenting proves that they are covering up corruption, that the law enforcement is somehow working with the government and they are all corrupt and they are covering it up and he has the proof, okay? You get, you're with me? It's not the ghost, even though, I mean... If he can think that, I feel like I can think the ghost. Because it does seem... What would you think? What the hell would you think if motion lights were going off in your attic, of all places? You're hearing voices and movement, but you're not catching any solid figures or anything. And someone died in your house just a few weeks before you moved in. I'm just saying, that screams... Stephen King movie, right there. Stephen King, do it. And uh, just name a character, Harmony, in there. I don't care. That'd be cool. Anywho. Um, okay, so he also ties it, ties these tunnels to something that... I'm, I'm, I want to cover this case later, but I wanted to uh, talk about how he ties this in. Because this is a very real case that has happened. A 13-year-old by the name of Haley Dunn went missing in 2010 in the Texas area, like in Texas, and years later, her remains were found. Buddy actually believes that she is linked to the underground tunnels, more specifically with the child sex rings that he states operates in these tunnels. So... That case, though, is actually a very real case. A young girl did go missing and her remains were found. So that is very real. He says that he isn't the only one who believes in these tunnels. I, I want to say, uh, let, me, let me pause. I want to make sure that her remains were found. I don't, I've been doing so much research with true crime. I don't want to be incorrect. Let me just, let me just take a moment to check. Okay, so yes, when it comes to Haley Dunn, I will like I will do a case on her because it's very confusing um, for me to sit here and try to explain it without getting off topic from Buddy. But yes, uh, she ha she's deceased, so he tied her case to these tunnels, which 
I am not stating that it is, you know, people cannot find conspiracies in the world. You know, we all know our government is pretty much not exactly always having the best thing out for us. I mean, we have a Cheeto in the White House right now that just kind of, yeah. Okay, it's a, it's a dumpster fire, and 2020 has proven that shit. But I don't know how I feel personally with him linking a death of a young girl to these tunnels that he states are there, which I don't even know if there is proof of these actual tunnels, by the way. That would be a whole other thing. But it's just, he's trying to pull on heartstrings, it seems like to me when it comes to that. Or if it is true, then that's terrifying as well. There's just, it's a whole aspect that makes me uncomfortable. But um, he did that. And now, at that point, at this point, he is saying that he they're using these tunnels. And that people are still breaking into his home and interfering with Buddy's investigation into this and him sharing with the world. Now, Buddy really believes people are breaking in into his attic, and he talks about this often in his videos, which all of his videos basically cover the same thing. And I'm going to break it down for you so you can get it. The previous owner of the house was killed, but and there may, I think there may have been some more deaths since. And so it's true. The previous owner was killed. That is a fact. Webb moves into the house where he begins to believe there are secret tunnels, especially since there's so much construction going on in the area around his house, which to him doesn't really make any sense at all as to why there's all this construction or these big machines. It it makes him kind of go, hmm, okay? Then one night, his alarm is triggered, and this is when Buddy is shot in the foot from below. So, then, while he is at the hospital getting, you know, help for this, this gunshot, he believes police went into his home and tampered with evidence and falsified records as well. He posted in videos how he knows that this has happened, even speaking that the hospital had manipulated x-ray images of his foot injury, that it was all a cover-up for the police. Since then, he added even more security and still having his house being broken into at the same time. He claims his house is constantly broken into, yet... There is no real footage of ever anyone else being in Buddy's, Buddy's home. So, is Buddy, I keep saying Buddy, is Buddy actually onto something? Or is this all in Buddy's head? Let's talk about that. You may notice a few things here when... If you were to decide to look into Buddy and his, him, if you just looked into him, which I encourage you to actually do if you want to give his conspiracy any chance 
or even if you are someone who does not believe it, I'm going to tell you, you know, you don't have to do the research, but you can. Um, in 2017, Buddy appealed a, by the way, I am stating all this stuff because I think you guys should know this. So you can make your own decision in case you don't want to do any of the research and you're just here so I can do it and tell you. In 2017, Buddy appealed a protective order that kept him from any communication with his ex-wife or daughter due to stalking, which to me that's a little ironic because he states he's being stalked by the government. So yes, that is an actual order that is in place and he tried to appeal it. They were only married though for about three months they got married in September of 2011, and their divorce became official and finalized in March of 2012. His ex claimed that her life was in jeopardy while she was with Buddy. His ex even stated that Buddy was very delusional, and he believed that she was a part of a conspiracy against him. Her quote exactly was, he believed I was a part of a conspiracy against him. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's dig some more. Let's, let's make sure, you know, we got to give this a chance. Let's make sure that it's not just, you know, some he said, she said. Let's, during the marriage, buddy, this is all in court documents, by the way. This is not just hearsay. During the marriage, buddy locked her in a room and began to interrogate her, wanting to know who the quote-unquote pimps, the tricks, and the drug dealers were that were breaking into my home or his home. This is from Buddy. Stating he believed a prostitution ring operated around his home and the tunnels that were under his house were involved and he needed to know what her involvement was in this child sex prostitution drug ring that the government was running. Now, some of the footage is absolutely very interesting, but it doesn't add up to what Buddy actually believes. But he, you know, remember, there's one big thing here that needs to be talked about. Buddy was shot in the foot from below, right? That's a major, like, how the fuck? Like, what? Okay, let's, let's talk about that. Well, the time that he was shot is also talked about in these court documents. It states quote-unquote, Webb was hospitalized for the gunshot wound, which he initially said was an accidental shooting. That is a direct quote from the court documents. The documents state that the gunshot was pretty much self-inflicted and completely accidental. The police sent in checking, like sent in officers checking in to see if it was safe. Hence, them messing with the cameras because you do see patrol cars pull up to Buddy's house. They get out of the car. I, I'm not sure if guns are drawn or not, but they get out 
and the cameras are then turned. This is stated, this is in case any officers were to be shot, a private recording would not be available. Because let's face it, we live in a society where that would be all over social media. I mean, look, it's in Buddy's house. He posts everything on social media. And that is something that no matter what the reasoning there, I think theirs at that time is, you know, this doesn't need to be something that can be released. At least not maybe unless on their own accord or something, but that's not usually how things go. And that's their own standing, the law. And inside his house, they found a trip wire that was actually connected to a fucking shotgun. Yeah. Also, in these documents, Buddy later claimed that, guess what, guys? It it wasn't uh, like an accident or somebody under these tunnels. It was neighborhood kids. They shot me, you know. Uh, so detectives went on record and stated that Buddy Webb is delusional, which I don't know. It could strengthen or, you know, decrease his conspiracy here. Depends on what side of the uh, lawn you are standing. Yes, we do all, though, know that all over the world, governments absolutely do some pretty fucked up shit. I will never deny that. That is a fucking, that's a stone cold fact in my eyes. And basically everybody I talk to, if you don't believe that, then sweetheart, you, the lawn you are standing in is fertilized with bullshit. Um, but what, what do you think, honestly, like when it comes to this, do you think that Buddy has found these tunnels that are being held there for, they're being used for human trafficking, child sex ring, drug dealing, um, and that the police are helping this and that it goes up to a massive corruption and he is stumbling on it and that his proof or lack thereof in these videos is proof of that or are these just somebody that has made this up in his head and kind of taken a few things and run with it and kind of put you know, two and two and together, but they're getting like five, not even five. They're getting like 30 or something, you know, like what, what do you think on this? I, I, I would love to know. And, uh, you guys can reach out to me and let me know on my Instagram and the podcast Instagram, even the podcast email where you can reach me. I will put all those in the description. So you guys can let me know what you think. And also, if you guys know of any other things you want me to look into. This is not our final case today. We have one more that we're going to talk about. So let's just get right into this one. In 2012, a 19-year-old Faith Hedgepeth, a third-year undergrad at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, was found in her apartment beaten to death. The last time she was seen alive was when she was returning home that morning after a night out partying with friends. Now, 
there's a lot of evidence at this crime scene. There's even DNA, a handwritten note, and a voicemail that may be from the time of her death. But even with all of this, to this very day, this remains completely unsolved. With all that, let's talk about what the hell happened to Faith Hedgepeth. Faith had an off-campus apartment that her and her roommate, Karina Rosario, had shared. They became really good friends in Faith's first year there. They moved in together, and this is where they lived. Karina's boyfriend, Eric Takoy Jones, also stayed there for a bit from time to time. But just because Eric lived there didn't mean that him and Karina actually had a very healthy relationship. Their relationship actually became so volatile that Karina eventually ended it with him, and he moved out. But that also didn't stop him from coming back. Just a few months before Faith's death, Eric tried to break into the apartment, not one time, but twice. This had Faith get Karina to get a restraining order against Eric, which he was not fucking happy about. I mean, not at all. Eric really didn't like Faith due to all of this. He despised her so much because she had any influence over Karina. In his eyes, it's like she was keeping Karina away from him. And that was not okay with him. But in all reality, it seems like Faith was just trying to be a, a decent human and try to keep Karina, you know, her friend, safe from having, like, any of his violence or anything. I mean, the man had broken in there, and their relationship wasn't the best, so I don't know. It's even reported, though, that Eric threatened to kill Faith if Karina didn't take him back. Then what happens? Faith just ends up dead. That really seems like an open and shut right there. It's obviously him. But there is so much more to this case. Let's talk about the timeline of the night leading up to Faith's murder. At 1 a.m. on Friday, September 7th, 2012, Faith and Karina get to a club called The Thrill. Here, they meet up with friends and they just, they have a good time, they drink, you know, do whatever college kids do. I don't know because I never went to college. So I assume, I don't know, get drunk. If you're a frat boy, you cry and, you know, realize that this is the peak of your life. Um, if not, then just, I don't know, get blackout drunk. That's what I, that's, I assume everyone just gets blackout drunk. Okay. That's at least what TV shows me. While there, they met up with a guy named Brandon Edwards, who was also Karina's ex-boyfriend. But they were still friendly. That's just how things were, which happens. I'm sorry, contrary to popular belief, people can still remain friends. Maybe not the best of, but friends. Roughly, about an hour and a half or so later, they actually head home because Karina had had too much to drink. So then... At 
3.40 in the morning, Brandon gets a text from Faith's phone. And it says, um, let's see, I got to find out where I wrote it. Okay. It says, hey, B, can you come over here, please? Karina needs you more. Aha, you know, please let her know you care. Then a few minutes later, the word then is texted to Brandon from Faith's phone. This is probably to fix an error from the aha to then so that it would read. Karina needs you now more than you know. <coughs> oh God, Corona. Sorry guys, I my throat is dry. Give me one second. Whew, all that talking makes a girl get parched. Now Karina's phone records, oh sorry, records show that she was also calling Brandon at the same time that these texts had come into his phone. So, you know, what, what you can take from this is that maybe she couldn't reach him. You know, she's drunk. She's, she's kind of, you know, just going through her own stuff, you know, dealing with Eric and what how had gone on with him. She's just kind of, ah. So Faith, being the friend that she is, text Brandon is like, hey, you know, she needs you. Can you come be here? You know, like, let's just face it, in all truth, a lot of people, when they're drunk or sad or down and stuff's going on, you want to find comfort. And maybe that's what Faith was trying to help her get, you know, that from him. So when Brandon didn't respond, Karina contacts UNC soccer player Jordan McCreary, someone that maybe she had a relationship with, but, you know, she didn't I don't know like we don't we don't even we don't fucking know which really that fucking disturbs me then at 425 Karina leaves the apartment leaving in Jordan's car and goes to his place to spend the night well the morning to go to sleep basically you know because that's that's all so that's the thing but before she leaves to go to his place and sleep, presumably, um, Karina says that she saw Faith asleep, but when she left, she left the front door unlocked. Yeah, she did that. 11 a.m. the morning that Faith is found, Karina returns to her apartment where she finds Faith dead on Karina's bed. This is when she calls 
with tissue fragments and DNA. The room was an absolute mess. In fact, on the call with 911, Karina told the dispatcher that there are things in the room that are not hers, looking as though someone else had been there. Faith had no clothes on from the waist down and her shirt was pulled up. Semen was found on Faith and this sample was reported to match the male DNA also found in the apartment. A small white paper bag was also found on the bed with the words, I'm not stupid, bitch, jealous, written on it. Police believe this was written by Faith's killer. The handwriting was analyzed by a specialist and appears to be written with disguise, being written with the non-dominant hand. Another thing that stood out was the fact that the crime scene where Faith was found, there was a lot of blood. But this paper bag, there it was there was nothing. It was white. It was clean. It so to them that indicates either it was added after everything happened or written before and place there. It wasn't like a in-the-moment type thing. So police then speak to many of the guys that both Faith and Karina had seen that night. They even like went out and tested as many of the men from the club that were there that night with their DNA. And the thing is, out of everybody, even the men that we've talked about, the DNA were not a match with anyone. So Eric, though, he stood out as a prime suspect right away, basically, to the police. We know that he's already been violent, and he even threatened that he was going to kill Faith. So that, yeah. Not to mention Eric even made a post on Twitter asking to be forgiven for what he was about to do the day before Faith was murdered. Three days after Faith, after she was killed, he changed his Facebook cover photo to, quote, unquote, Dear Lord, forgive me for my sins and the sins I may commit today. Protect me from the girls who don't deserve me and the ones who wish me dead today. But, Eric was actually very cooperative and his DNA didn't match any of the male DNA that they found. Eric was even quoted by news reporters saying, quote, unquote, from what I know of her, she was the sweetest person in the world. If you needed her and she could do it, she was there. And he said, quote, unquote, I'll be honest, whoever did this deserves to burn. There was also a reward of almost 40 grand for any information leading up to the arrest of who did this. Now, the thing is, when it comes to this, all records with this case were sealed by court order, sealing any information that came in that that it was just, no, you couldn't have it. Not even revealing publicly Faith's cause of death. 
Well, the school newspaper, the Daily Tar Heel, was the only one that discovered much of the information being investigated by the police. The newspaper petitioned the court to release documents as the police weren't really making a lot of, like, progress and really getting anywhere. Like, maybe, you know, maybe if you release stuff, people will come forward or something will be shed light on. But the court refused. Neighbors also said that when they sealed off Faith's apartment, they only searched the girl's apartment and no others in that building. Apparently, they didn't look around either in the woods that were behind the apartment. They did search one other apartment, though, later on. And they never canvassed the area. They didn't ask any neighbors what they may have seen. Police didn't even secure Faith's car during the search of her apartment. The club that Faith and Karina went to that night leading up to her murder had security cameras, but police, yeah, they didn't ask for that footage either. Not until a reporter tried to 19 months after Faith's murder. And by then, well, wouldn't you know, the footage was already recorded over. Then, in July 2014, the court ordered the records be unsealed, releasing the 911 call, which you guys heard some of, the note from the scene, the autopsy report, and a accidental recording of a voicemail, which was a conversation that took place at the night club the night that Faith died. The conversation is actually very hard to make out, so I'm not going to play it on here because it will just sound like garble. Um, But a local journalist posted the call with a transcript. It was recorded on one of Faith's friend's phones, but the call came from Faith's phone that night. Before I get into reading you the transcript of this call, I want to let you guys know it is graphic and there it gets pretty intense from what i think when it comes to this this is absolutely the murder of faith being recorded so please take that under advisement the call female a female's voice comes on i'm gonna kick your face bitch i figured out that's bullshit don't ever think that i would have believed you your lies there's an audible garble at you more inaudible noise faith then yells ow very loudly the female mocks her by saying ow and continues with your talk sure ain't funny you know he's gonna inaudible you and fuck you i will fuck you bitch faith in audibly screams very loudly and yells let me go Male voice, which is a bit inaudible, says, hear him say her, and then it's inaudible. Faith says, help me. Female, don't be a pussy, put up a fight. The male voice, let's put the fucking something, we don't know what it is, it's inaudible, to her. Then you fuck her, all inaudible, all fuck her, inaudible. Faith screams, because you like there's something that happens and faith screams loudly ow my head the female says do it the male voice then says i think she's dying 
he then continues do it anyhow get the duct tape i think there's two males i'm not sure because it doesn't say male one or male two um but it says get the duct tape there's some inaudible sound then they can tie up faith is said faith yells please then there's something inaudible me my hands are on fire help a male says put her hands behind her head all untie them her hands look like they're on fire some inaudible noise i've got to hide them faith says i can't believe that you really did it rosie female really male to our next victim something inaudible female all right the male just throw it in the river fucking stupid people faith just wait Female's voice is inaudible, but then the last word says glove of that inaudible sentence. Female continues after a bit of inaudible sound. You liar. You intentionally lied. A male says, hey, there's some sound. Set that fuck back up, bitch. Inaudible. To go, inaudible, liar. This is exactly how it sounds, but there's like it goes in it. Male voice and faith are a bit unaudible at this part of the call. Then the man says, no way, idiot. Faith screams, get off me. Then the male, shut your mouth, inaudible noise. Fuck, inaudible, Rosie. Female, go get help, Eric. Male, but I'll fuck her. Female, just let them, it goes inaudible. Male voice, inaudible, starts and then says, under her hips. Faith, fuck you. She flat out says, fuck you. Male and female are inaudible right here saying something. And then you hear the male say, back up. Faith yells, get off of me. A male voice is inaudible with a female talking again. The male says, I don't know. Faith screams, ow. The female says, Sit up and, it goes inaudible, the male talks over inaudibly, Faith screams very loudly for help. She just yells, help. The male comes in saying, because, something inaudible, seems to be the one inaudible, you. Then the female comes on, fuck you. The male says, no, now I'll fuck her. Female becomes inaudible, Faith yells, no. Female says this what do you uh, you hear faith yell no very loudly and there's no more talking from faith then you hear a female say what do you think something something it's inaudible you i liked you better cunt so this call according to the timestamp came from the club because of when it was sent out and where they were at the time but investigators think that there's a software glitch and that this was at the apartment at the time of Faith's death. And I got to say, like, you if you listen to the call, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you, please have discretion. Like that, it was very hard for me to listen with the transcript to know that that could actually be murder 
happening and it it's in the fact there is so much said in there I mean you hear names and it sounds bad like I don't it's yeah just be advised it's it's really it's really rough and it does sound like a crime is happening in 2016 a composite was released of a suspect of what they think this suspect would look like the one who left DNA but they did this purely on the phenotype of his DNA profile. So he might not even look like that. There haven't really been any suspects or persons of interest that have been named by the police. Sorry if you guys heard something there. My phone just went off. Um, but yeah, they haven't really named anyone. But people obviously talk. There's a lot of talk. But they haven't said also that... They, they they don't believe that this was just like some random crime of opportunity. They 100% believe that someone she went to school with and even Ren in her social group is the killer or killers. They have narrowed it down, but they're not sharing um, at all. That's why they haven't named anything to 10 possible suspects. Now, Karina has been suspected like to know a whole lot more about the case than she lets on, you know, due to the way she was in the 911 call and the last text from Faith's phone to her, to Karina's ex, just, there's a lot. This, but the big thing too, like, let's put aside the fact that her name is said in that recording but she left the door unlocked when she left. So was she trying to stage, you know, like maybe it already happened and she was staging it, like, so it fell through since the time of death. I don't know. They haven't released or anything. Or did she hope that somebody else would walk in and find her, you know, like maybe Brandon since he never got a hell of it, or maybe he was there. I don't know. This is so, <clears throat> Yeah. Cases like this just drive me up the wall. So police have said they don't believe Karina, though, that like they don't believe everything has been told to them from her. So, I mean, it's it is a a case that is frustrating. And like you have you you probably have your own thoughts on what you believe happened. But the the bad thing is when it comes to these kind of things is police. And detectives and investigators, they can't just go off of a belief, you know, like, because it's all circumstantial, basically, at that point. Um, or I could be completely incorrect, but I, I feel like I've learned this enough with doing true crime. Um, you know, they have to, you have to have evidence. And nothing is adding up to point to someone in a way that they could have a surefire conviction because in a case like this especially in a lot of cases you know double jeopardy does come in like let's say um you go to court and not you but they go they go to court and it's they don't they're the evidence is just not strong enough it can all be kind of like washed away and then a smoking gun comes along later. You can't be retried for the same crime. Yeah, they could probably do something else like, you know, tampering with evidence, withholding something. I don't know, but 
it still will not get the justice that is deserved. And I feel like that's why so many of these cases that when we hear them, we think, how can they not have uh, got this person? How is it not possible? It's just that it's not set for justice to be served. But then again, I also see cases where there is absolutely enough evidence that could put someone, you know, away, but it doesn't. So, we're, it's, it's, I guess it's a slippery slope. So I know today was a little bit longer than most episodes, I believe. And I appreciate if, you know, you guys stuck around and you're here and you got through all three of these. I genuinely enjoyed doing the research on these ones. Obviously, you know, it's it takes a lot to basically spend a lot of your time looking into true crime. You become very aware of the world and the the nature of people so you know for all of you out there stay safe be be careful out there and you know just don't go into any tunnels or uh you know like i don't even know how to tie this all together without probably sounding bad i don't mean it to but you guys, just be safe out there. The world is a crazy, dark place, and you should always be aware of your surroundings. So with all of that, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and your support. I am going to include how you guys can reach out to the podcast or me if you guys want me to look into a case. If you guys know a crime or something like unsolved or a mystery or anything that's happened in your town or maybe you know something like not I I just like know something about a a case that's already been shared and like you experienced it you were there you live there or maybe you have a paranormal encounter that you would love to share just I can keep you guys by the way anonymous or if you'd like I can also share your names I, I don't mind some people want to stay anonymous and uh, just you know tell me some things I should look into tell me what you guys know and I would love to have you guys more involved in this podcast I want to give you guys what you like and I enjoy it as well it's a give give relationship right give and give and then we accept I don't know all right guys stay safe I will talk to you on the next episode. All my love. Bye.